The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Around you, you guys can grab those. I'll give you a second to get there before I start reading. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Isaiah 11, verse 1. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word. And one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. And in verse 10, in that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Thank you, guys. Turn on your mic. Speaking of crazy baby stories, our friends Nate and Jess, about 15 years ago, had a wild one. And this is an amazing couple. They are both paramedics, both paramedic supervisors, super gifted people. These are people that are talented at everything they do. They're good looking. They take these, their kids on these great adventures. And the worst part of it is that they're really nice as well. They had this crazy story where baby number two was on her way, and they lived about 20 minutes from the hospital. So as soon as mama said, "Uh uh-oh, this baby's coming, they jumped in the truck as fast as they could and headed down the 20-minute drive to the hospital. So my wife is part of the phone call, and she called the hospital ahead of time and said, hey, you guys get ready. This baby's coming quick. And they were about to pull over several times, but they, they wanted to get to the hospital to make everything as safe as possible. So about 19 minutes into that 20-minute drive, here comes that baby. So they pull into that parking lot, and right there in the front cab of a Toyota truck, because he was a paramedic and able to deliver his wife's baby, they had a baby right there in that truck. Completely unexpected. Now, they had good friends that took care of that truck, and they detailed it. (laughs) My wife and a mutual friend of theirs also bought them this license plate frame that said, Jessica and Nate's mobile birthing unit, (laughs) as good friends would do. We all faced unexpected things in life. Maybe this year you had planned to to lose a certain amount of weight or to eliminate carbs, and by January 5th, you're like, that's out the door. Let's go to Great Harvest Bread Company. Maybe you had this plan that you're going to be married and with kids by the age of 30, and here you are 30, and Miss Wright or Mr. Wright still hasn't showed up. Another way of explaining these unexpected plans is derailment. On October 22nd, 1895, a steam train coming into Paris was trying to make up for some lost time. They increased the speed, and of course, the brakes didn't work. The result is the picture behind me. The steam train went straight through this train station, crashing to the streets. Amazingly, only one person died 
and it was actually the person on the, on the street that was selling newspapers. A few other passengers were injured in this crash, but not one of those passengers that day woke up expecting for their commuter train to go through that wall. Another way of explaining a derailment is a train wreck when everything has completely been destroyed. Maybe you had a business in your life that failed, that hamstrung your family for a decade. Maybe there was an illness. Maybe somebody was really sick. Maybe somebody passed away. For my family, 2022 has been a derailment at least. <laughs> we had some crazy things. We had hospitalizations in the family, just wild stuff. And it was like as if God said, no, we've got better plans, or I've got better plans for you. All right, <laughs> I sure hope so. So what is it that you and I need to do when things don't go as planned? You see, God created this world perfectly. Zion, Yosemite, Niagara Falls, all that stuff, everything across the world. And the pinnacle of God's creation was you and me, humanity. We were created perfectly. That didn't last very long. That first relationship, God created Adam and Eve, and pretty soon, it was a mess. Adam and Eve decided to do their own thing. They wanted to walk their own way. They had plans of their own. So that ended up fracturing their relationship with God. Sin was introduced to the world, and it made a mess of their lives at the very least. Their firstborn killed their secondborn, right? This is generation number two. So their lives were a mess, and sin was introduced into the world. And like adding a cup of salt to a recipe to bake a cake... Uh, something's not right here. It was mixed all in together, and things didn't go the way they were supposed to. But God had a plan. And that plan was slowly divulged through time. And we see it first with the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation to bless the world with. And Israel wakes up one day enslaved. They're in Egypt and there just seems to be no future for them whatsoever, but God had a better plan. Salvation, rescuing them through the Red Sea to the promised land. Now, time passes, and much like a child, perhaps a teenager, maybe none, none of us here, this child decides, nope, I've got better plans. I know what's better for me. Israel demands a king. God, we want to be like everybody else around us. Please. Essentially, they wanted to behave like everyone else around them. And God said, wait, I am your king. You have the best thing going on the planet. But he acquiesced, all right, if that's what you wish. And sure enough, Israel went off the rails. Those kings that they so desperately wanted by the third king destroyed everything. That nation divided into two nations. And a few hundred years later... Those, each of those nations had been attacked by Assyria and by Babylon without God's blessing, and those nations were exiled and scattered across the land. But God still had a better plan for them. Even though they didn't expect to be in the place that they were exiled, God was still in it. There was a king that was coming, 
but not like a king that they were expecting. If you fast forward 600 years later, we find the New Testament, the first gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we find Israel, who some of those who have been scattered at this point in time, in the first century AD, have returned to their homelands. Unfortunately, they're merely renters. And their landlord, the Roman Empire. Can't think of a worse landlord than that. But they hoped. There was one thing they still clung to was their faith. And they knew that there were all these promises that took place in Scripture, that something about a Savior and a Messiah was going to come to take care of them. Isaiah 34, 35, verse 4 says this, Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. See, this nation was going back in time and wishing for another Moses, somebody who's going to deliver them from their horrible circumstances. Another King David, who was a conquering king, who would come and restore things to order, where they would be the nation, they would be the top dog, and everybody would have to answer to them. Once again, they would be the dominant country. But God had better plans than that. And now we get to Christmas. Christmas Day is when that plan went into action. And Christmas starts with a story of Mary and Joseph. And they were this young couple. They were engaged. And in that setting, engagement would have lasted a year. The couple would have not been cohabitating. Yet, engagement was so serious that to remove yourself from that, they would have to go through formal divorce proceedings. So this couple, through that year, is planning for this simple life. Have some kids. Joseph is a carpenter, just kind of living a modest life. But God had better plans. And those plans we pick up this morning in the Bible, Luke chapter 2. If you have one of these Bibles in front of you, we're looking at page 849. Actually, we're going to rewind a little bit from that. Luke chapter 1, excuse me, verse 26. Page 849. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary is in shock. Mary is minding her own business, and she has this divine visitation. An angel shows up, and you can just imagine her reaction, startled. Scared to death, afraid, what is going on? And she hears these words about a baby. Congratulations, you're pregnant. And something about a throne? Wait, what? So many things for her to process. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so... 
The baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Amazing. Mary is carrying the Son of God. What an honor, to say the least. But what about her fiancé? What does he think about all this? Well, at this point, we haven't heard anything from Luke. And the Christmas story is covered in two of the, of the four Gospels, so Matthew and Luke. So we're going to rewind. We're going to go to the book of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, looking at chapter 1. And Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, his audience, when he was writing his gospel, was primarily to the Jewish nation. He was trying to explain things to them that they would understand in their context. First and foremost, as you can see from chapter 1, verse 1, is that we have a genealogy. This is how Jesus is connected to Abraham. He's connected to David. Chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. All right, one thing to note that both Matthew and Luke so far have made it very clear that this is a virgin birth. This is the Immaculate Conception, right? There is no hanky-panky going on between Mary and Joseph. This is a divine intervention from God, the fact that she is pregnant. And I want to, at this point, imagine this conversation that Mary and Joseph have together. She hears first, right? Do you think that she went immediately or maybe the next day to tell Joseph about this? Or did she wait? Was she a little bit afraid? Was she a little bit like, mm, did that really happen? Did I see what I think I saw? Did God really speak to me? Am I really having a baby? And maybe a couple weeks, a couple months pass, and they go on a picnic together, and he looks over at her, and she's got this belly. He sees the baby bump. He's like, what's that? And she's like, oh, the craziest thing happened. <laughs> I had this angel visitation, and, and God spoke to me, and I'm going to be carrying the Son of God. And, and she goes through the story, and he looks at her. Holy Spirit, that's what you're going with? I would love to find out how long it took for her to have that conversation with her. And we find out for sure that Joseph doesn't buy it. No, I swear, Joseph, it's true, it's true. No, not happening. Because Joseph did not expect, nor was it in his plans, for a fiancé of his to be pregnant before going into a marriage. Somebody else's child, not his. And so we find out at least he's a decent guy. He is not going to humiliate her. He's just going to quietly walk away from the situation. And she's going to live her life, and he's going to live his life. And at Christmas time, 
we think about this story. And we think about all the amazing songs and Christmas carols. And we think about Handel's Messiah, if you've listened to that. And you think about wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. For unto us a child is born, and on and on and on. But this story doesn't match that at this point. This really sounds like a sad country song to me. In 2003, country artist Sarah Evans wrote a song called The Backseat of a Greyhound Bus. She wore a dress with cherries on it going somewhere where she'd be wanted. A town this small, all they do is talk. No wedding ring, chipped fingernail polish. She always wished that she could go to college, but some dreams fade. They just slip away. She started to show a few months ago, and she had to go. Mary is looking at the prospect of being an abandoned single mother. And a woman in the culture in that context would not have been marriage material, so to speak. If the father is gone and she has this baby, nobody would have married her. So she's looking at a very difficult life ahead of her. Is she going to catch the Greyhound bus? Is Joseph going to ask for a transfer? I, I, I can't do this. I need a fresh start. I'm out. The only way to salvage a relationship like this would be through divine intervention. And sure enough, that's what happened. Verse 20. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Save them from their sins? Who, who is this kid? This is going to be one of those kids that, you know, you can't even buy a bumper sticker for a kid like this, right? This is really a special kid. But I don't think that they went there at this point, Right? The most crucial thing at this moment is the fact that he realizes, oh, she's not lying. This really happened. So now I'd like to imagine that conversation, right? He goes to Trader Joe's. He gets a dozen roses. He goes over to her house. It's like, uh, Mary, um, all right. So this thing happened to me. I had this dream. You're not going to believe it. And I, I just want to give you these here because I, I'm just so sorry for the way I treated you. And you wonder, what was her response to that? Was it, I told you so? Or was it a complete breakdown emotionally that finally somebody believed her? That that crazy, awful, scary future of being a single abandoned mom wasn't going to take place. That somebody was going to be right there by her side. And we find out a few verses later that immediately they get married. Now, they're married, but they're, I think, in two, living in two different worlds. Number one, they are elated. They are in awe. They are worshiping God because she gets to carry the Son of God. They get to be the parents of this Jesus. But on the other hand, uh, they are prematurely pregnant. And with the stigma in that culture, life must have been tough. 
Have you ever lived in a small town like Sarah Evans was talking about? We did. For 10 years, we lived in a town of 5,000 people. And amazing experience, great people, but if you calculate the, the algorithm for the amount of gossip in general society and you put that into a small town, what that means is that everybody knows everything. There is nothing that's private. We go to the, the Friday night football games in that small town. It was great, but you look around and you know everybody. It's like two degrees of separation. If you don't know somebody, somebody else knows that person. Now, if you're a parent and you've got kids that are prone to getting in trouble, that's not such a bad thing, right? You're going to find out everything they did. You don't even need you know, to track your kids on the phone anymore. But if you're that kid, like, ooh, I'm in trouble. They know everything about me. So Nazareth is a town of under 2,000 people. So this is a tiny, tiny place. Everybody knows everybody's business, and there they are, that couple. Mary and Joseph. But guess what? God had better plans for them. Last month, I took a road trip to Oregon. There's a few pictures that you're going to see up here from that trip. Now, this is a trip I planned to take in the summer, but as I told you, 2022 is a little bit of a derailment. So that trip got delayed and delayed and delayed. And the original thought in my mind is like, I need to go into nature. I need to see uh, trees and rivers and lakes and, and be alone and be quiet and, and camp in this tent. Did you know that in November, there's a reason why it's really hard to get reservations to camp in Oregon? It has something to do with the weather. Now, I should know that because we lived there essentially for a couple years. So night number one, I take my little tent and I take my 30-degree sleeping bag. Let me tell you what, lies, lies, lies. <laughs> Return that thing. It does not work. So after maybe two hours of sleep, I chickened out, I jumped in the car, turned on the heater, and fell back to sleep. The next night, I had reservations for a campsite a couple hours east of there where it was even colder. So I swallowed the 20 bucks on the reservation and went to a hotel. And it was a good thing because I woke up with ice all over the ground, my car. The, the road on the way to Portland was closed for three or four hours so it could be de-iced. That, my friends, was an unexpected camping experience. Now the Christmas story resumes and we find Mary nine months pregnant. Now, if any of you have ever had a, a midwife or a doula and you had like these birth plans and you were going into this pregnancy thing like, here's what's gonna happen first, second, third. I, I'd be willing to bet a little bit of money that no women, no women in the history of planet Earth at eight or nine months pregnant said, let's go camping. <laughs> Nobody, but sure enough, that's what happens. Luke chapter two. Verse 1, at that time, Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. 
He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. So Caesar Augustus, typical guy, just thinking about himself, calls for this mass migration of people so that they would register for tax purposes, read, get more money for myself, to the place where they likely own property. So this is why Joseph and Mary have to go to Bethlehem. Verse 6. And while they were there, the time for her baby, the time came for her baby to be born, of course, right? She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So Mary goes into labor. She gives birth and, and to a special kid. And not like, like an actor's child or not like the child of a governor or something like this. This is the son of God, the most significant birth in the history of the planet. And she gives birth outdoors, in a barn or a cave, with farm animals and all the lovely smells and noises that accompany said farm animals. And the first crib that this couple has is a feeding trough for animals. Not what they expected. But despite these circumstances, Jesus is born. And Jesus is born healthy. Not what they expected. But God had better plans. Matthew 1.22. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give, us birth, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've read scripture to any certain degree, you know that you can look in that rearview mirror and see through history. Oh, yeah, that scripture points to Jesus, and so does that one, and that one. Oh, yeah, it totally makes sense. But if we were to honestly put ourselves in that place, Six seven, seven, six, seven hundred years B.C., and we were reading these passages, we wouldn't know exactly what's coming. We're not expecting this baby to be born. We're expecting a savior, a, a king, a David, a Moses, somebody like this, who's going to come in and clean house and restore the order. Isaiah 53, verse 2, offers something about a very different kind of prophecy. A suffering servant. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And Israel is expecting this return to power, but God had better plans for them and the entire world. And that plan began way back with Adam and Eve, kick-started at Christmas, and ended a few decades later on the cross 
at Calvary. And that cute little baby, Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, went to that cross knowingly and was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. And he bore our sin in his body so that we could be whole, so that we could be healed. And now you and I are offered forgiveness and reconciliation with the God of the universe, our creator. That is God's better plan. And you and I have plans derailed in life. Nobody has all their plans that go the way that they're supposed to. And maybe they feel like first century Israel, where you're limited by this government that's, that's overshadowing you and is limiting what you can do. And your quality of life isn't the way that you want to. And you don't have the same opportunities. And you have maybe just a little bit of hope. Or maybe you're like Israel that was enslaved in Egypt or exiled in Babylon. And you have exactly zero hope. And you look around you and nothing is going to go the right way. And you have zero hope. God has a better plan. Despite that train wreck, he's coming after you. One last picture from that trip in Oregon, you'll see. Uh, this is my friend Jeff. He and I were college roommates about <clears throat> decades ago and have stayed very close friends. He has been in my life no matter where we've lived. Rare has been the year that we've lived near each other. And Jeff and I love college football. Jeff has been to games all over the country. And so we decided to go to a Ducks game. And we don't have any particular affiliation with it. I think the fact that he's from the Bay Area and I'm from LA and that none of our teams like each other, we found neutral territory common ground there. Now Jeff is going through a derailment, a near train wreck in his life. Nothing like I've seen him go through before. His life is upside down train is off the rails. He is newly divorced in the last few months, and it wasn't something that he wanted. And he's devastated, and he's still devastated. And he has two teenage daughters that he doesn't get to see very often. And they're busy, and they have to split time between mom and dad. And so Jeff has a ridiculous amount of free time. And it's devastating. And we talk a few times a week, and Christmas is coming up, and he's looking at Christmas Eve. What am I going to do by myself? Christmas Day, I get to see them a little bit on Christmas Day. But for as many struggles as he's going through, through all the trials he's had in the last couple years of living with roommates again and living in a small apartment later by himself, the one thing that he has going for him is that he trusts God. He knows God has a better plan for him. And some days, that's the only thing he can cling to. And today, you came to this church, and I don't know what you expected. You walked through those doors. Maybe you were going to appease a spouse or see some friends or clear your conscience or something like that. And then you heard the phrase that Jesus was crushed for our sins and pierced for our rebellion. And maybe that's the first time in your life that you've heard that. You never expected that. You had no idea that the God of the universe loves you. 
I'm here to tell you that God has a better plan for you. And with all due respect to the Grinch, to the elves, to trees, lights, eggnogs, gifts, packages at the door, Christmas is about your creator who came to this world, Emmanuel, and has a way better plan than yours. So that well beyond December 25th, when the lights start to come down and that tree that's dried up in your house gets taken out to the curb, you still have hope. So what is it that we should do when things don't go as planned? I think we look to the example of Mary and Joseph, whose own plans were derailed. Now, Joseph definitely fits the profile of somebody who would fit, right? Matthew makes it very clear that he is part of the line of David. So, all right, he's definitely hired for the job. But more than that, he's a good guy. He makes this decision to marry this woman who is carrying a child that is not his in obedience to God. A very courageous act. And Mary herself, who is highly favored, her own plans derailed of a simple life, we find out in Luke, at the very end of the angel's visit to her, her response is this. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. So whatever the circumstances were for Mary and Joseph in that small town, whether they were looked at, whether they were shunned, outcasts, their response was to simply obey God. And if your plans have been derailed. If things haven't gone as planned, you and I need to simply obey God. Tell him, I am your servant. If you need to speak it, say it out loud. Write it in a journal. Take steps toward him in that misery. Read scripture, pray, cry out to him, talk with other followers of Jesus. So I have to ask you this morning, how has life derailed you? Have you been forgotten in Egypt? Are you lonely, newly divorced, exiled in Babylon, perhaps a mental health struggle in your family? Are you ostracized in Nazareth that you're misunderstood? Maybe you're experiencing labor pains in a barn. Something physical has gone wrong with you. Or maybe you just find yourself scratching your head like, why am I in a stupid tent in the middle of Oregon in winter? <laughs> maybe you're on this random camping trip in Bethlehem, and you have no idea how you got there, and you're angry. You have to remember, God has a better plan. And that's even if you never get answers as to why these things are happening. I want you to consider this. Even that random, strange, freezing camping trip may have its own purpose. Another prophet, Micah, chapter 5, verse 2 said, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. Insignificant Bethlehem and its town would play a significant role. And the Savior was to be born right there in Bethlehem. And Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. That's odd. So what happened? 
In some way, God allowed for this census to take place, for Caesar to stroke his own ego in order to get Mary and Joseph to the town of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, fulfilling prophecy, keeping his promise. That random camping trip may have a purpose. When things don't go as planned, simply obey God because he has a better plan. I'm going to invite the band to come up right now. And you have this opportunity right now to respond to what God is stirring in your heart. There are different things that you can do. Number one, in music and song, cry out, sing out, or just sit and absorb the words. You can take communion at the four, one of the four corners of this room, a remembrance of that little baby Emmanuel that went to the cross to give his life for you because of his deep love for you. And if you need to share with somebody about a current derailment, there are people in the back there ready to pray with you right now and after the worship service. Would you pray? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you never known this hope in your life before? That the God of the universe loves you created you and wants to be reconciled to you. Be reconciled to him. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin in our place so that we might become the righteousness of God. Make that decision this morning for the first time and come tell one of us after. If you've already made that decision but you are struggling that train is off the tracks. Your challenge this morning is to simply obey. To in that misery, in that struggle, in that pain and suffering. You tell him, I am your servant. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.